0: You are listening to a weekend message from New Life Church in Fort Smith. We would love to connect with you, so find us on Instagram or Facebook at NLC Fort Smith. Enjoy the message. We are smack dab in the middle of wedding season. Wedding bells are ringing. People getting married left and right. It's during this time of year that you find out how much damage you did over Christmas with the Christmas tree cakes. Because when you pull that suit out of the closet for the first time, you don't know if it's going to button up or not. Amen. I'm there right now, and I'm always praying, Lord, please help me. I just did a wedding yesterday. I have a wedding I have weddings like once a week uh, through June, and I'm pretty excited. Even our very own Brenda Ramirez is getting married, who's in the back. Let's give it up for Brenda. <laughs> Wedding bells are ringing. Praise God. She's registered at Target, Walmart, and Amazon. <laughs> I love it I like I rem, do y'all remember the register this isn't in my notes but the register gun if you've ever been married you go to the store they give you a little gun and they say just scan whatever you want and put it on your registry I scanned a cereal dispenser uh, some ceramic Chinese takeout boxes like I was scanning everything Xbox like I'll take it all right I think people today probably scanning like $50 on pump 3 <laughs> a dozen eggs you know but anyway, back to uh, wedding season. You get this thing. It's so beautiful to see everybody in love. I was at one yesterday. They're so in love, looking in each other's eyes. I love you. I love you, too. I'm going to love you for the rest of my life. I know. I love you, too. You're so wonderful, Pookie. guess like it's, it's gross and it's beautiful all at the same time, you know. And I'm watching them, and I'm thinking, that is so sweet. They do not even realize that they are just a couple of years away from screaming at each other about who stole the nail clippers. They don't even know. That's what I I give you a little uh, sneak peek into what's happening at my house. You know what I mean? The nail clippers are precious. Your marriage is the second most important decision that you will make with your life. The very first is following Jesus, and the second is who you're going to follow Jesus with. Marriage is the very first institution that God created. And so when I think about something is as important as marriage, as big of a deal as that, now I want to know what God has to say about it because he's the one that created it. And a lot of times we get ourselves into trouble by thinking uh, that marriage is something that existed And then Christians are just coming over here trying to hijack it and say, well, this is how you should do marriage. But the truth is God himself created marriage. And so when we start thinking biblically, and I think we can think biblically about every issue in our world and in our life, uh, I want to look at what God has to say about marriage. I want to look at the very beginning. I want to go to the source. I want to see the original plan. Like, show me the blueprints. A little disclaimer before we get into this. If you're here and you're single, um, I want you to know, when you come into a service like this, it's about marriage and you're single, you'd be like, okay, another thing on marriage. I don't really care at all. Like, okay, I get it. Um, I know that some people, you want to be married badly. Like, it's a deep desire in your heart. And I I, want to speak to you first. I'm going to tell you two things about today. One, I'm going to tell you this. Be faithful right where you are in the season of life that you're in. If you're single, you've probably heard that a thousand times. You say, well, I'm sick of this season. And I say, I get it, okay? We've all been in seasons that we're tired of. You do not know when you're going to meet the one right? You don't know. You might be out there getting some coffee in the line, and there's a bucket of mints right there, and you reach for a mint, and they reach for a mint, and your eyes lock, and it's wonderful right there in the foyer of New Life Church, right? You don't know when it's going to happen. You just don't know, but until it does, God will give you the grace and the strength to serve him faithfully and well in the season that you're in, so do it well, The second thing I would tell you is, even though this is a message on marriage, I think this is the type of message that someone who is not married should hear. Because if it is your desire to someday be married, I will tell you it's easier to build a marriage right from the ground up than it is to go in and do a full remodel on something that is already built and dysfunctional. And so I believe that this is beneficial for those of you even who aren't married today. And I'll say this, um, there's always uh, a bit of tension around this topic because maybe some people in the room have had failed marriages and you've had difficult experiences there. One, I'm not teaching this today because I saw something on Facebook last week and I was like, I really got to speak on marriage this week. You know, that's not at all why I don't have any particular person or situation in mind. And if you're hearing, you say, well, people are probably thinking about me during this. They're not. Okay. There's enough dysfunction right here. I don't have to look anywhere else. Okay. And so I just want you to set your mind and heart at ease. Uh, I don't want to offend any person or situation beyond what scripture would offend just by reading it. And so uh, that's my heart here in this. All right, let's open it up to Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Here's the situation. God has created the heavens and the earth, and he said, it is good. And he created all these things, the the fish and the birds, and he looked and he said, this is good. And then he created man. He said, this is good. And then he saw that man was just hanging out by himself, and he said, that ain't good, all right? And so why is this not good? Why does God say this isn't good, that man is all by himself? Growing up, my grandma's name was Gertrude. That's a good grandma name. That's a legitimate grandma name. Like three generations from now, those kids, they're not going to experience the grandma Gertrudes that we had, you know. They're going to experience Grandpa Fox, like my my boy's name, you know. But Grandma Gert, as we called her, she was a sweet lady. She grew up in the Great Depression, and so life was different for her. And if you've ever been around somebody that went through the Great Depression, you know they thought differently about, about life, about all the things that they had, because they had to live differently their whole life. So she thought differently, but she was also very kind, very sweet, and she wanted to give everybody a gift at Christmas time. And so my grandma Gert's house at Christmas is probably 300 square feet, and there were probably 85 people in that one little house. And everybody that came in got a gift. For the men, it was a pair of white tube socks. Every single year, a pair of white tube socks. And for the kids, she would get little toys and things and wrap them up and everybody got one toy. And so I remember this particular Christmas, I opened my gift and my cousins, they were opening their gifts and one of my cousins got a truck, a toy truck. I was like, that's awesome. And one of my cousins got a a toy horse trailer And so they're like rolling them around. And I opened up my gift, and it was a blue piece of plastic. And that's all it was. It was about this big, a blue piece of plastic. And I was like, what is this? And I found out that that piece of plastic was used to connect the truck to the horse trailer. (laughs) And so these guys got a good gift. I got a piece of plastic in my hand for Christmas. That is not a Merry Christmas when you're eight years old. I can tell you that. Some things are not made to be alone. That thing was not made to be in and of itself a gift. Man is not made to be alone. And when God created us, I want you to write this down. He's, you have a divinely designed deficiency. God created you in such a way That you alone are not able to fulfill all the things that you have need for in this life. You and I are deficient. God saw that in Adam. He put it there. And when he saw that, he said, this is not good. He's saying is there is an incompleteness here. It's not complete. The picture is not complete. And so how did he address this? I think... The best way that I know to say that he addressed this is he addressed it relationally. He said, it's not good that man should be alone. And I'll tell you this, whether you're married or you're not married, it's not good that you should be alone. People are not designed to go through this life by themselves, even if you want to. And I know some people, they want to do it. I got, I got friends that they want to be left alone. Like, I want to go to my house. I want to put on Netflix. I want to order Domino's. I want to sit on my couch. I want no one to bother me or call me or do anything. I want to sit here by myself. I don't need anybody. And I'm telling you, even for the deepest introvert in this world that doesn't want human contact, it's not good for you to be alone. You need relationships. You need air. You need water. You need people. That's the way that God made us. It doesn't even matter if you don't want it. God says it's not good for man to be alone. So he has a solution. And this is his solution. He creates someone for Adam to be with. He says, not good. So I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Now, I want Before I jump into the rest of this, I want to address something that has kind of been abused at times in different places scripturally. There's this word here, helper. And some people have defined this to mean, okay, when God created women to be maids for men. You're going to be my assistant, woman. And they use scripture to, to kind of lord over women and say, all right, you are created to be my helper. That word there in the Hebrew is called Azer. Azer is used 19 times in scripture. 16 times, when that word is used, it's used referring to God Himself. That word does not imply that you are inferior, because if it did, they couldn't use it for God. That word does not imply that you are less than. That word shows. This guy needed some help, and God sent someone who could help. There was a dysfunction there. He was deficient, and God sent help. Women and men, while different, are both equal in value and their standing before God. It's important that we know that. And so now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So, he, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. This, this verse reminds me of Lance Jennings, all right? I, I picture Lance Jennings being Adam, okay? Without the sin, though. I, I ain't trying to do that to you, all right? But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So he goes, all creation passes in front of Adam. And there's no one that's a suitable helper. Suitable means equal and adequate. There's no other human that's like him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. This is the first scriptural reference of Ambien, right? And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. God does this surgery. He takes the rib from Adam's side and he forms the woman. And then we see the first time that Adam is recorded to have spoken in Scripture. It's when he sees his woman. And he can't help but he's singing a Justin Bieber love song, right? This is now bone to my bone and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman. She was taken out of man. Amen. This is where God creates marriage. This is his design, that he has a man and a woman, and that they are equal before him on the cross, but they have roles that they exist in. They have a relationship that they exist in. This is marriage, and God took something that he said, this is not good that the man is alone. He created something good. He gave the marriage, and now he says, this is good. So marriage is good, but if you're sitting here, you might say, my marriage is not good, right? Jessica, if you would ask her, uh, when we first got married, what'd she say? Marriage, eh, not so good, you know? I see this a lot. I know that marriage is supposed to be good, but when I see it in reality, when I see the man and the woman and they come and they sit down and they talk, a lot of times it's not so good. And I see a million little reasons why marriage is not so good. It goes from being very good on my wedding day, time goes by, it's not so good anymore. What happens? There's so many things that happen. I could give you 10,000 reasons why marriages aren't good. But when I really start to think about it, they fit into two broad categories. And so I'm going to give you two big red flags that I see. And I, I want you to have these in your mind because if you see them in your life, in your marriage, in your home, then you need to do something about it. It's just on Facebook, you know, if somebody comes and they have one of those video doorbells, And somebody comes up and steals an Amazon box off your porch, and they take a picture of what their face looks like on that door. They post it on Facebook, and everybody, you you don't even have to know the person. They could be in Wisconsin, and you'll share that thing. You say, if you see them, there's these, you know, they they, they want that picture, they want that face everywhere. These red flags, I want these to be all over your mind. So when you see it, you say, uh oh, uh oh, I gotta do something. First red flag is this when you see this, when your faith, Is just a feature. Let me talk to you about my phone. I got a regular iPhone here. Nothing special about it. My iPhone has a million little features on it. It's got a flashlight. It's got a camera. It's got all these things. They added something a few years ago where you could go and set time limits on each individual app that you have. So if you are on Instagram, right, and I open up Instagram, And I'm on there. I can say, well, I don't want to waste my life looking at Instagram all day. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give myself five minutes a day. That's all I need is five minutes a day. And so you get your app out, and you set five minutes a day. And after five minutes, it goes off. And you say, oh, okay, that's great. I'm done with my five minutes. A few days go by, and you're like, I'm really out of time already. That five minutes went quick couple weeks go by. You're like, nah, I got a Johnny Depp trial to keep up with. I can't be (laughs) five minutes. ain't going to do it, you know? And so what do you do? You go in there. You have set this thing to lock down after five minutes. That's a feature that you turn off because you don't want it anymore. When your faith is just a feature, you can turn it off when you don't need it. When your faith is just a feature, you can turn it off when you don't want it. When your faith is just a feature of who you are, you're setting yourself up to struggle in this life. Because when your faith is just a feature that you don't want anymore, that means that you are the center of your story. And I'll tell you this, culture and society has sold so many people this big lie. And the big lie is it's all about you. It's all about what you want. How do you feel? What do you think? What do you want? And if faith is just a feature, anytime faith gets in the way of what I want, I'll just put it up. I don't need that right now. I come on Sunday. I got a little Jesus on Sunday. On Monday, though, I want to do something else. I'll turn it off for now. Faith cannot be just a feature, faith must be your foundation. It must be foundational of everything in life. This is true for you personally, and this is true for your marriage. it must be foundational it can't be that i'm my heart tells me which way to go the bible says in jeremiah that the human heart is most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked like my feelings the things that i want all that stuff it changes over time jesus does not he is the bible says a firm foundation Matthew 7, 24, Jesus is talking about how to build your life, and he says you can build it in two ways. You can build it on the sand, or therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like wise men who built his house on the rock. Jesus is our foundation. Tim Keller says it like this, your faith in Jesus is the surest ground to build your marriage on. And Christian marriage is a marriage that's built on Christ and not just on our feelings. A lot of times we say, okay, I'll build my life on Jesus, but I'm getting married because I love this person. I'm getting married because they make me feel good. Y'all know that song? Oh, hooked on a feeling. You know that song? That's why a lot of people get married because they're hooked on a feeling. But the truth is feelings change something that you wanted for lunch yesterday you don't want again for lunch today because you feel differently today and if I build my life and my marriage on my feelings and my feelings change then the foundation the Bible says is like shifting sand. Jesus said you build your house on the rock and it will stand firm. If you build your house on the sand what's sand? Anything other than Jesus. Anything else is the sand. Even a feeling of love, the warm and the fuzzies. I, there's a guy I went to church with a long time ago in another city. And I'll never forget, he said this. It's he's, uh, he's, he's towards the end of his life. And he said, I married her for her looks. And she married me for my money. And after a few years, we were both disappointed. (laughs) like I'll never forget that it was like the foundation on which this whole thing was built has changed and now everything's a little shaky and crumbly make Christ the foundation of your marriage I'll give you some practical ways really fast that you can do this and I'm just going to name these uh, if you're taking notes if you're married in here or you want to be and you want some guidelines for the future. Pray for your spouse. You know how many people that come in that need help with their marriage? And I'm glad that they come in. But one of the questions I ask them is, do you pray for your spouse? And they say, almost always. Well, no. No, I don't. Okay. Pray for your spouse. All right. That's one. Second one, pray with your spouse. It's different. It's awkward. It's weird at first. It's worth it. Do it. Pray with your spouse. It's really hard to be very angry with each other when you're praying together. It can't happen. God, you know what they did. (laughs) But, pray with your spouse. Thank God for your spouse. In the morning, get up and think. Don't curse your spouse. Don't talk down thank God that he gave you this spouse. Learn God's word, you yourself, and then learn God's word together. The whole basis of Christian marriage that you read about in Ephesians, about how wives are to submit to their husbands as you do to Jesus. And then husbands are to love their wives sacrificially as Jesus does. The whole basis of marriage is all wrapped and intertwined with how you see Jesus. So learn God's word and who he is. Learn God's word together talk about scripture together. Build your home on biblical principles, okay? The Bible does not specifically spell out everything that you're going to face in life. It doesn't tell you how to file your taxes. It may in Revelation. I don't know, but I haven't seen it. But it does give you a framework, a biblical set of principles that you can live by. Build your life on those, Cast your cares on Jesus. You can do that individually, and you can do that together. A lot of people get divorced because of, like, crazy amounts of stress. I'm stressed about work. I'm stressed about money. I'm stressed about my kids. I'm stressed about decisions I have to make. I'm stressed about this, that, and the other. Instead of just being stressed about it, come together and say, okay, this is a real thing. Let's give this to Jesus. We're not going to worry. We're going to put it in his hands. Forgive quickly. When you get the gospel that Jesus has done more for you, he's already forgiving you of more than you'll ever be asked to forgive someone else of. When that like gets in your heart and your soul, you'll be able to look at some of the offenses that come your way and say, okay, I forgive you. Encourage often. Anytime you think of something good about somebody, tell them. Don't wait till tomorrow. I heard somebody say something good about somebody, and they say, but I'd never say that to their face. And I think, well, why not? Tell them. Go ahead. Let them know about it. Because you don't know how many tomorrows you have, so tell them today. Right? The last one is respond biblically. You will have hard days in your marriage. Every single one of them does. It's how you respond to difficult situations that makes a difference. You can respond out of my flesh, like just fly off the handle, I can respond in fear, I can run and hide. I can do. It. I want to respond in every situation in my life, especially in my marriage. as Christ is my foundation, I want to respond biblically. And just bookmark James chapter 1, 19 and 20. "Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let Christ be your firm foundation in your marriage, not just a feature that you carry with you when you want it and not when you don't. Number two, second red flag is this. When you notice, when you quit putting in the work in your marriage, marriage is work. It's hard. I didn't know it would be hard. I thought it would be good. I thought we'd have Italian dinners every night by candlelight, Lady in the Tramp style, you know. Like, I really thought this is going to be nice, but it's hard work. There was a time a few years ago when my friend Marcus and several guys from here drove out to Colorado Springs, and they have a mountain there, Pikes Peak. It's 14,000 feet And he said, we're going to climb Pikes Peak. I said, that'll be fun. I'll take some selfies at the top. You know, it's going to be dope. And so I drove out there. We drove all night. We get to Pikes Peak. And uh, we just start climbing immediately. And I didn't have any water or anything. (laughs) And I'm climbing about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And I said, Marcus, how much further to the top? He's like. Probably nine hours. Nine hours. I said, All right. Well, I'm gonna be done right now. He's like, "What?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm. I'm going back down the mountain." Twenty minutes in, I turned around and I went back down the mountain. I got into the van. I drove down into town. I had coffee and brownies. I just had myself a good day. Not, not those brownies, like regular brownies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Regular one <laughs> <laughs> Lord help us. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness gracious. I thought it was gonna be all fun. It was all work. And I didn't love it. When you're married, you don't realize how much work it takes. Great marriages don't just happen by accident. You don't just stumble into them. You work yourself into them. You know what happens if you just let it happen? Bad marriages, mediocre marriages, they ones that struggle, those are the ones that just happen. Great marriages take work. It's the same as your your grass in your front yard. If you went out there and you said, "Man, I just love God. I love the nature he created. I'm just going to let God do his work on my yard," right? Everybody in your neighborhood is going to hate you, right? <laughs> They're going to call somebody on you because your grass up over your windows. You got to go out there and cut the grass. You got to go water the flowers. You got to go pull the weeds out of the bed. It takes work. Marriages take work. You see somebody with a great marriage and you say, man, they got a good one. And we always say the grass is greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. You can't coast into growth. It takes work. Write these words down. Service and sacrifice. Not the most popular words in culture today. But if you go into your marriage with these two words in your mind, it'll change it. Both of you, it'll change it. When... Back to Ephesians 5. When they're telling, how do I love my wife? I love the way that Christ loved the church. Like, he gave himself for the church. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Like, I get up in the morning, I don't ace this all the time, but I try. And I think about it often. How can I serve my wife today? How can I serve my family today? Is it going to cost me something? Yes. I'm tired. I don't want to do I don't want to do dishes. I don't want to take out the trash. And even if I take out the trash, I don't want to put another trash bag in the trash can like <laughs> If I do one, somebody else do the other, like meet me halfway. No, I'm going to serve. God has called me and given me so much in a wife and a family. And my response is I'm going to love with a sacrificial love. Even when my tank is empty, I'm going to love to the best of my ability. I don't always get it right, but that's what's in my mind. Sometimes I make a conscious decision to not. (laughs) That's just the truth. I'm like, Lord, I'm just going to go back to sleep. I don't want nothing to do with this day, you know. But I try more than often to get it right than to not. I go into this relationship knowing it's going to cost me. I'm called to sacrifice. I'm called to serve. And then she comes into this relationship, she comes in and says, I'm going to serve. I'm going to love. This home is going to be a place full of God's presence and love and forgiveness and laughter. And Will it cost her something? Yes. Will it be work? Yes. But it's worth it. The cross wasn't easy. It was hard. And if you love like this, it doesn't mean that if you love like this, that you're going to be immune from all sorts of problems and issues. You're still going to have them. But you'll be able to work through anything that comes your way if you both approach it as Christ is my foundation and I'm going to love and serve the person that he's put me with, with all my heart. Let me give you a few practical things here for those note takers. How do I do this? What's the work? One, be intentional about it. You have to plan to love. You got a plan. Put some stuff on the calendar. If I ask you, when's the last time you went out on a date? Folding socks, don't count, right? Like a real date. When's the last time? I don't know. I don't have. Put one on the calendar. Do it today. Go home and stick it on there. We're going to go to Arby's on Friday night, baby. Get dressed up, amen? Don't be lazy. Work through the hard things. Don't just sweep stuff under the rug and say, ah, it's better if we just don't, don't talk about it. Ah, it's better if we don't bring it up. I'm going to work through the difficult things as they come. Be honest about where you are. That's hard sometimes, especially if you're not in a good place. If you want, like, homework, it would be, I want to write down, honestly, I'll, give me five words. This is how I honestly feel about where we are in our marriage right now. And then talk about that. Talk to each other. No phones, no TV, no kids around. Have a conversation. Guys, more than grunt and nod, okay? Do us us the best you can. Give us what words you can. Open up your heart and let her see what's inside. Have fun together. You know, one of the top re- I was reading the top reasons people get divorced, and one of them is they feel bored. Like we got nothing in common, and there's never anything to do, and I'm bored, and I just want something new and fresh in my life. Well, that shouldn't be. life You're going to have hardship. There will be difficulty, but there's also the joy of the Lord. It should fill your home. Do something fun. Plan it. Put it on the calendar. It don't have to cost any money. Go out and throw rocks into a pond. Do something have a good time with each other laugh and the last one is this i'll tell you get help when you need it i i was with a man the other day and he was he's like a he helps a lot of people with their marriages and i don't i wish i would have written it down exactly i don't remember but he told me that the before someone gets divorced they the average couple, before they get divorced, they're struggling for over a year. And most people, before they reach out for any sort of help, I think it's like eight or nine months that they struggle and they don't tell anybody. And one of the biggest lies of the enemy is this. You have to figure this out by yourself and you don't need to tell anybody what's going on because you'll look weak, you look bad. And I I was listening to a guy, and he said this. He said, and this struck me. He said, if I have to project an image to everyone that I have my life together, that everything is great, and I don't struggle with anything, if I have to project that, then I will keep people at a distance so that they're never close enough to me to see the mess. And it will always lead me into a deep, loneliness. This is not God's way. You must be wise about who you tell. I'm not gonna go talk to some lady about what's going on like Jessica is just making me mad. You know like I'm not gonna run just down to another lady. But if I have something going on in my life that I need somebody to help me with, I'm gonna find somebody like, I'm gonna find a man, Jessica's gonna find a woman that we both trust, that we can talk to, find a pastor, go talk to Lance and Angie, Megan, Nick. There's tons of people around here that have been through life and that can't help you. It doesn't even mean that you are going through some kind of catastrophic failure in your marriage. Maybe you have one thing that's a sticking point and you just need some people to help you. God has given so much wisdom to the house. He's given wisdom to his church. Don't feel like I have to, I can't let anybody know. If you need help, go for it and ask for it, okay?